0: Now it's my uh, real privilege to introduce Daniel Goodman. He's going to continue our What If Hope Was a Person series in the lead up to Easter where we unpack the stories leading up to Easter and uh, he's going to be sharing about Jesus journey towards the cross uh, with us. And it's been such a joy to have Daniel in our midst. He's been such a a blessing to us as a team, as a church. We're part of a little cluster within Relational Mission. And um, Daniel uh, guides and leads that cluster uh, of churches. And uh, we really been blessed to receive his leadership, his input, he's been part of many of our uh, elders meetings, given lots of wisdom and encouragement and as a church as well, and it's our real privilege to have him regularly with us on Sunday morning, so uh, this morning he's going to be opening up scripture with us.
1: Well good morning Life Church, Peterborough, great to be with you again. It's a real joy to be looking at Mark chapter 15, uh, the story of Christ's crucifixion, a pivotal point. In the Christian story. I want to place Mark 15 in context at uh, the vast uh, context of the Bible and then the specific context of the four Gospels and then to look at one aspect of what Christ's crucifixion means for us. So the whole Bible tells a unified story, a story of God who creates us a story of uh, the fall, separation from God, and then redemption, his pursuing of us, his rescue, and then finally, uh, restoration, a kind of a now and a not yet part of restoration. Because of what Jesus has done, we become new creations, but we still live in a fallen and broken world. But one day, there'll be no more tears, no more death. So we have... A God who is a creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is unlike us. He is uncreated. He is above us. He is all-powerful and all-knowing and beautiful and radiant and perfectly holy. And he made men and women in his image and invited us into relationship with him in that perfect creation. But... Into that perfect creation came sin in the form of pride, in the form of unbelief, questioning what God had said, choosing to go our own way. and Because of that sin, there were terrible, terrible consequences for humanity. The beautiful relationship that we have with God was uh, torn apart and um, we were separated from God. In fact, the Bible talks about um, placing angels at uh, the gates of Eden so that we couldn't return. But God didn't just leave us on our own. God pursued us and came after us. The vast swathes of the Bible tell the story of God pursuing his people, rescuing his people, seeking restoration. And that culminates in the person of Jesus, God himself, coming as a man born as a baby and coming to sacrifice himself for us which is what we're going to look at in mark 15 and because of what jesus has done has reconciled us to god those who believe in him who accept his free gift get to call ourselves children of god but we live still in a fallen world there's still pain So there's a now and a not yet. We become Christians, we become new creations, that's the now. But the not yet is that one day, one day there'll be no more tears, no more sadness, no more death. There'll be a day of judgment and then perfect harmony with God. And so that's the the big picture into which uh, Christ's crucifixion falls. But it's also told in one of the Gospels, and now there. As you will know, um, there are four Gospels, and they tell um, a similar story. They tell the story of Christ's ministry, but they do it in different ways with different agendas. And it's helpful, I think, just to have um, some picture in your mind about what it is these different Gospel writers are trying to do and why. So there's Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first three of those, Matthew, Mark and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels or the similar Gospels. They contain vast swathes of the same material. So those three uh, are, fit together as a set. And then there's the fourth Gospel, John, not one of the Synoptic Gospels. And 90% of John's material is unique. So there are these two uh, different sets of Gospels. Luke... And Matthew are based on Mark. So although Mark doesn't appear first in the New Testament, Mark's was the first gospel. A very short gospel, a very action-packed, and uh, it just cuts to the chase. It, for example, doesn't have a genealogy, doesn't have uh, the Christmas story. It just gets straight into it, uses the word immediately, many times. And uh, Mark wasn't one of the disciples. Then we've got Matthew. Much longer gospel that does come first in the New Testament. The reason it comes first in the New Testament is because Matthew's concern was essentially to write a Jewish gospel, to write a gospel. To the Jews to persuade them that this is the Messiah. So he had two particular ways of doing that. One was to um, have this long genealogy at the beginning, and secondly, to show all the ways in which Jesus fulfills prophecy. So you'll find that phrase repeated throughout Matthew this was done to fulfill a prophecy. And that's why it comes first in the New Testament because it kind of bridges the Old Testament into the New Testament. Then we've got Mark, and that's followed uh, by Luke. If Matthew is the gospel to the Jews, then Mark is the gospel to the Romans. And Luke is kind of a forensic doctor's eye view or journalist's eye view. You'll know that Luke also wrote Acts. So this is a two-parter, Luke-Acts. And Luke was a doctor and he wrote very, very carefully. And it's full of the sort of details that a doctor would be interested in about different types of... um, Miracles and healings, and also some of the details around the birth of John the Baptist and indeed Jesus, things that uh, a woman might tell a doctor. And so these these three Gospels um, look, although they have much of the same material, they they look at it slightly differently. And then we've got John. Uh, John probably came last, um, probably after the sacking of Jerusalem. Like Matthew, John was a disciple. And uh, he he knew that the Gospel of Mark and the others were in circulation. He's writing it from quite a different perspective. So he uses all the I am uh, sayings. He was one of the inner three, uh, Jesus' friend, and he had been there. And so he's like uh, looking back uh, with a slightly different perspective. So those are the, the different Gospels. And Mark's uh, was... Written its thought primarily to a, a Roman audience. And during that time, uh, Nero was vehemently persecuting Christians. So you might have heard uh, that he was doing things like burning Christians alive during his parties uh, as tortures and horrific things like that. So that Mark is writing into a context where he's trying to comfort the believers, he's trying to build their faith in a Christ who has also suffered, but to give them hope. And so it's into that context that we read this story from Mark chapter 15. Now, it's a long chapter, so what I'm going to do is just uh, briefly tell you the story uh, and then focus in on one particular part. So at the beginning of uh, Mark 15, um, the Jewish council decide that they're going to hand Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified, which they do. Pilate interviews Jesus and um, asks him a number of questions, uh, and Jesus um, doesn't particularly answer him. And uh, then what Pilate does is he has this device every year where he decides he's going to set someone free, whoever the crowd wants. And really, he wants to set Jesus free because he doesn't really see what, what the fuss is all about. Um, So he he asks the crowd who they want to set free. And it's a guy called Barabbas who was a a terrible rebel. The crowd are stirred up by the religious leaders. And they they want Barabbas and they ask for Christ to be crucified. And so that's what Pilate does. He wants to please the crowd. Um, So he hands Jesus over to the soldiers. The soldiers beat him. They mock him. They take him out to be crucified on the way to to, uh, the sort of Golgotha. They meet uh, Simon. They get Simon to carry the cross for Jesus because it's so heavy. And then he is crucified at that moment. um, People are looking on. They're mocking him. Uh, Some of the disciples are there, the, the, the women who have been following him. And uh, there's a Roman centurion at the base of the cross who famously says, "This, this surely this was the Son of God. And um, after Jesus has died, the temple curtain is torn in two. It's just one sentence in, Acts, in uh, Mark 15. But it's very, very important. I want to come back to that in a moment. And um, after Jesus has died, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate Uh, He's a member of the council and he asks Pilate if he can have Christ's body. Pilate is surprised that Jesus is dead already and and asks for it to be um, checked out, which which he does, Jesus is dead. And so his body is given over to Joseph of Arimathea, who buries it in his own uh, grave. The stone is rolled over and the women have seen where he's been buried. So what does all this mean? Well, when we were telling the big story, creation, fall, one of the ideas at the fall was that this perfect relationship that we had with God the Father was uh, torn apart. God who is transcendent, who is perfect holiness, who is almighty, who is the creator of the heavens of the earth, who is the judge of the living and the dead. This great transcendent God was also in Eden, imminent. He was close to us. He was with us. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He talked to them. He wasn't just great and glorious. He was great and glorious and present. And that relationship was broken. We turned away. But God didn't allow us to stay there, but came after us. He came after us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus laid down his life for us and the way the bible talks about it is it says that Jesus came to bring us to God. Jesus came to bring us to God that he had a ministry of reconciliation and I want you to have that picture in your mind of the angels with flaming swords at the gates of Eden keeping people out from the presence of God. In fact in the Old Testament the presence of God is confined to the Holy of Holies in the temple. When Jesus died, the one who came to bring us to God, we hear these tremendous words that the curtain in the temple was torn into from top to bottom. So I want to read that part of Mark 15 to you. And uh, I'm starting in Mark 15 and verse 33. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land, until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabaktani," which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling on Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is the hinge of a Mark 15 When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he had breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him there, and there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem right in the middle of that reading is this sentence and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom this was a uh, a temple uh, a sort of a temple curtain that separated people from the presence of god it was incredibly heavy couldn't have been ripped uh, by by a person by hand anyway i don't think it was so heavy but it says that it was ripped from top to bottom. It was ripped from heaven to earth. And I can imagine God, although God is totally transcendent, the he's also imminent with us. God's father heart. Can you imagine that moment where God's heart was broken in, in Eden, where, where we were cast out and separated from him and he grieved over us, a bit like the prodigal father. He longed to be with us and there's this moment where because of Jesus' obedience, God the father gets to tear this curtain asunder and rip it to shreds and say there is no longer any need to be separated from God, come, come in. I can hear uh, King David in Psalm 27. Lord, my heart has heard you call and my heart wants to come to you. My heart wants to come to you. Or the, James says, draw near to God. The, the writer of the Hebrews says, let us draw near to God with boldness, with confidence. God, in the mom- in that moment, God the Father tears that curtain in two and says, come, come to me. It's a real hinge in history. And it's a hinge in this chapter. We get these different characters um, throughout this chapter uh, mocking Jesus. So let's just have a a quick look. There's the the council. um, So they they are the ones who decide to hand Jesus over to uh, Pilate. And uh, it says, in the same way, the chief... Priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves, saying he saved others, but he cannot save himself. It explicitly says that they're they're mocking him. Then there's the crowd. The crowd, those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. They are mocking him. They're despising him. Ha there's laughter. On their tongues. And then there's the, the soldiers. It says here that they were saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they kept beating him on his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. And after they had mocked him, then they took him out to crucify him. It explicitly says that they mocked him. Finally, there's the criminals that were crucified with Jesus. It says those who were crucified with him were also hurling insults at him. So there's the council, there's the soldiers, there's the crowd, and there's the criminals. All of them, in that first part of the chapter, mocking Jesus, despising him. And then there's this moment where Jesus dies and the curtain is drawn into two. And one by one, we see these reactions. First of all, the soldier, a centurion. Now, this isn't all the soldiers, but this is one of the soldiers, a centurion, who saw how Jesus died, says, Surely this man was the Son of God. Correct. You've got the crowd. Once they were mocking him, but now the other side of the curtain being torn in two. His disciples, not the whole crowd, but some folk were there loving Jesus, watching him watch trying to minister to him they had been ministering to him they wanted to see where he was buried we know that later on they came to embalm him they wanted to show kindness to him so that is a great reaction we know from um, another part of the bible from luke's gospel that actually one of the criminals who was crucified with jesus uh, at some point he stopped mocking jesus And he realised the foolishness of his ways. And he recognised who Jesus was. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So although early on they're mocking him, at least one of them recognises him for who he is. And then finally it talks about Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, so this isn't the whole council, but certainly one member of the council went to Pilate, he had to gather his courage to go to Pilate and ask for Jesus' body, identify with Jesus, identify as one of his followers, ask for his body and give his burial site over to Jesus so that Jesus could be buried there. I don't know how deliberately Mark was in doing this, but it seems to me that there's this first half where the crowds and these vast swathes of people are just mocking and then the second half, after his death, what would seem like the darkest hour, the curtain is drawn, torn in two over another part of Jerusalem in the temple. But light switches are going on in people's hearts. Some of them had seen this before this moment of crucifixion. Others, like the centurion, at the moment of crucifixion. And others, like me and possibly like you, are seeing it thousands of years later who Jesus really is he came to so that curtain could be torn in two so that that relationship we had in eden which was separated could be brought back together i just want to draw out one point of application from this it's great great news we're going through a time of very much of uncertainty in the nation and in the world with coronavirus pandemic unraveling all around us uh, and probably after that a great deal of economic uncertainty uh, which we we don't know what that will look like people are tempted to fear and we're longing for peace a peace that passes understanding now there's a type of inner peace which kind of depends on yourself and i think this is a very vulnerable type of piece, a very fragile type of piece, a a sort of a piece that isn't robust enough to deal with question marks. It's not robust enough to deal with the news. It's not robust enough to deal with science, uh, to deal with um, probing doubts. It's a sort of piece that needs to be protected and actually tends to evaporate uh, when it touches anything difficult. That kind of piece is going to be of no help to us at all. But Jesus, the Prince of Peace, offers us a different type of peace. You see, when all around is falling, Jesus comes so that we can find refuge in him. We can find refuge in the Prince of Peace. He is the one who has experienced everything bad that can be thrown at us in death. He has passed through death. He has conquered death because he was perfect. He perfectly satisfied the justice of God and makes a way, a new and living way for us to come to the Father. The Father hasn't diminished his transcendent qualities in any way. He is almighty God, perfect in holiness, high and exalted, the Creator. We don't want to diminish that in any way, but he is also our Father. And in Jesus, we have perfect access to this transcendent God who becomes imminent. He becomes near because of what Jesus has done, because we can approach in the refuge of the Son. We can have perfect peace that comes from the Prince of Peace. The one who has passed through death so that the curtain could be torn into so that in Christ we can come to the Father.
0: What a brilliant picture for us to head into the week leading up to Easter and Daniel's encouragement, the curtain being torn open into. Uh, Can I encourage you as we're leading up to the week of Easter, um, find the Easter story in your Bible, and take some time to read it through, just like Daniel did this morning. So encouraging to hear the story uh, being unfolded and the wonderful truths of scripture being flown into our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Your praise will ever be on our lips. The amazing work that you have done for us, your love demonstrated at the cross, making the way free to the Father. We thank you and we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of our time together. Uh, We have been so blessed um, hearing God speak to us and being reminded of God's love to us. Uh, Can I remind you, if you want to find some more details about things coming up, then check your uh, Life News mailing that comes out on a weekly basis, or uh, also check us out online on YouTube or on the website SoundCloud, and you can listen back to some of our services. We'll hopefully see you there.